This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome back. I want to thank you all for joining us this week as we get closer to Pesach. And the cleaning intensifies, and the cooking gets to its frenetic pace, and people sometimes develop a severe case of hermititis, where they don't want to go outside of their house until they're finished. Every bit of cleaning, or every bit of food that could be made and frozen is made and frozen in that extra box freezer in the basement or in the uh, garage. But you're all here, and I appreciate you for coming out here, so thank you very much. Please give yourselves a very warm round of applause. Let's thank the amazing staff at Yeshiva Beth Yoda and Partners Detroit for enabling us to have this beautiful lunch and learn and for putting out this delicious food, which I'm told deserves at least two stars on the Michelin uh, scale. According to Zagat's survey, the lunch and this lunch and learn is a resplendent assault on the palate serving up traditional flavors with up-tempo flair, bound to delight everyone from the proletariat to the bourgeoisie. Just if you are wondering. Okay, I also want to thank the amazing folk over at Tower Anytime because it's an app and it's a website and they have hundreds of thousands of hours of incredible Torah content and um, for all that they do to give us, the Jewish people, so much to listen to and learn and discuss and here we go. Okay. For the next two weeks, God willing, we're going to be speaking about the Seder the Pesach Seder, and how we can experience redemption in our lives through the Passover Seder. Pesach is the Chag HaGeula, it is the festival of Geula, of redemption. And it's not called that just because we were redeemed on it 3,335 years ago, but because it is the festival of redemption. If you want to experience redemption in your life, you can experience redemption in your life at this time of year, more easily and more powerfully than perhaps any other time of the year. Okay, so we're going to try to figure out how we can experience our own personal redemption through the Seder. We're going to start with a very simple question. Why do we call the Passover Seder the Seder? Order. 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 I understand order, but it's out of order. <laughs> you know, you got to put up a sign. This Passover meal is out of out of order <laughs> or out of seder, right? Because think about it. What's the normal order of a meal, right? So maybe you have kiddush first on a regular Friday night, but then you have you break bread, you 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 you, you have some food, you have some appetizers, then you bring out the main course and. It's really then that you start to talk, right? Meaning, you know, when we have, we have Shabbos meals, right? I'm very cognizant of let's make sure to get food into people's gullets before we get into talking. Because I could talk to anybody forever, but there are hungry people, right? So let's get some food going. Let's wash. Let's get some dips, some challah going. And then we can start introducing. So like usually we like to go around the table and for people to introduce themselves because often we have people who don't know each other. But we'll hold off on the introductions until people are eating already, right? The rule of thumb is get some food into people's stomach, then they can sit back and they can talk for hours. You know, sometimes a meal will go. Once you get to the main course, you put out the main course, you're done pretty much putting out food, and then you could sit for hours and schmooze, maybe bring out the dessert. Furthermore, a very, very important rule of eating meals when there's a lot of drink. Because <laughs> there's a lot of drink at the Passover Seder, four cups of wine. Now, for any of you who learn the proper way of drinking wine at a meal, it's the following. There's a formula for this. It's called eat, eat, drink. <laughs> eat, eat, drink, right? <laughs> Meaning you don't want to be drinking wine on an empty stomach. That could be, lead to some disastrous situations. So you want to make sure you're eating properly. You also should be drinking water, right? And you should be in that mode drinking. Come the Passover Seder, we are entirely out of order. We start strong. We start with Kiddush. You're like, okay, this is normal. <coughs> and then we even wash, which is also normal. But then, instead of breaking out the bread or the matzah, we give out some, like, parsley, you know? Or some, or some potato dipped in salt water. I'm like, this ain't going to cut it. <laughs> I don't know how you do meals by you, 
But we don't start off our meal by giving somebody a carrot dipped in salt water. You know what I'm saying? What am I, a bunny rabbit? You know what I'm saying? Not only that, I just drank a whole cup of wine. All right, then they bring out the bread. I'm like, okay, good. So there's bread here. But no, we just, just break the bread and hide away part of it. What? Again, am I a bunny rabbit? I'm hiding away food for later? Like, what's going on over here? And then we start the talking. And we talk for hours. Right? Now again, remember, food is supposed to come after you've already been satiated. After the main course. You want to sit and schmooze for hours, go right ahead. But no, we sit and schmooze for hours. And then what do we do? More drinking. On an empty, cu- on, on an empty stomach. Right? This thing is chaotic. And then by the time we, we have the matzah and the moror and the matzah and moror sandwich. And then finally we get to the meal. And ideally you're supposed to finish the afikoman before halachic midnight, which here in Michigan is probably about 1, 10 a.m., 1, 15, I don't know exactly what time it is this year, which means you've got to be rushing through. Uh, some of you are thinking, I start my Seder at 4 o'clock, Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so you've got to be rushing through, and your meal's not even that long, right? Because you've got to get to Yafikomen. Everything's out of order. You call it the Seder, and everyone here, Baruch Hashem, knows the word Seder means order, but it's the most out-of-order meal that we eat in the entire year. So why are we calling it Seder? Okay. The Chidushe Harim. The great and the saintly Rabbi Yitzchak Meir Alter, who lived in the Polish city of Gora from 1799 to 1866 and founded what was known today as the Gerer Dynasty, the Gera Hasidic Dynasty. The founder was Rabbi Yitzchak Meir Alter, and he was known, often as Hasidic rabbis are known, by their most famous work that they wrote. He wrote a book called the Chidushe Harim. And he says the following about why we call the Seder the Seder. He says, on the Seder night we have many mitzvahs, there are actually going to be only two biblical commandments this year. Did you know that? Yes. What are the two biblical commandments? To tell the story. To tell the story, good. And then to eat matzah. There we go. We got the experts over here. We got the experts over here. So there's two biblical commandments. To eat the matzah and to tell over the story. And you shall tell over to your child on that day saying. Now, by the way, that second mitzvah is a very complicated one for people who are going to have larger seders with lots of family members. It gets very complicated because you have an obligation to tell the story over to your children or your grandchildren. And if you are a grandparent, then often it's about letting the, your children kind of take a more prominent role at the seder because... Their obligation is to be telling it over to their children. And often, if you go to a big Seder with lots of cousins, people get lost. People get lost in the shuffle. And you're trying to cater to so many cousins, you know? Like this year, we had we had this thing called Burnham Family, <laughs> Burnham Family Meetings. We bought a gavel many years ago. And originally, we actually had like a special gold wrap around the gavel that was engraved, embossed with the words... Burnham Family Meetings, or Burnham Family Meeting Gavel. And we used to do this, this was a long time ago, but now we just got remnants of it. So if we want to have a family meeting, we'll have the whole family sitting around the dinner table. We'll take out, bust out the Burnham Family Meeting Gavel. I'll bang it on the table. We say, Burnham Family Meeting commences. <laughs> and then we have a meeting, and then we have Burnham Family Meeting adjourned. We had a whole meeting this year to talk about what should we do for our satyrs. We're going to be going, God willing, to my sister's house in Milwaukee. Hashem should bless her for having us over. We're going to be there. I have a brother who's going to be there with his children. Now, my brother's children are younger. His oldest child is six, and then it's like four and two and, and a baby. And then I've got my sister, and she's got four. Her kids are roughly 14 uh, ten, don't hold me to it, but somewhere around seven or eight, and a two-year-old. Then I've got my kids. 
If we all sit together for the Seder, which is so beautiful, right? So beautiful, everyone's sitting around the big table. What happens? How much actual Seder, how much actual Haggadah do we get in for our family? I've got kids, and they all, Baruch Hashem, are going to come home from school with tons to say and tons to share. As another issue, according to Halacha, women are not supposed to be singing in front of men who are they not directly related to. So if we're sitting around the whole table together, my wife and I, we started off with four girls, with two boys. My two boys are the youngest, right? They're the, they're like the, they are nine, <laughs> nine and six. There we go. I got this. I got this. Don't worry. Nine and six. But my four oldest are girls, and my wife's a girl. So they all can sing if we're sitting up at the table with everybody, and it's very meaningful for us to be able to have singing together. So we had a family meeting. What do we do? Do we have the whole Seder with our larger extended family? Which is nice, because it's everybody together. It's beautiful. On the other hand, that means that we're not going to be able to get as much time with, the various, with, with our own children telling over the story, because we're going to be watching eight more cousins say the Manashtana, which if you take each kid takes three minutes say the Manashtana, that's already half an hour, roughly. I'm not joking. This is real deal. This is real talk, right? Because the kid is shy, and you got to coax him. Come on, we'll give you a candy, okay? No, I don't want to do it. Okay, yeah, but no, I don't want to do it. Okay, fine. No, we'll give you a candy and a live up. Okay, fine. Yeah, no, I don't want to do it. Okay, no, daddy's going to say it with you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, that, that takes three, four minutes per child. You know what I'm saying? If we got to do it with eight children, besides, that's a half an hour out of the Seder. The Seder, we don't have that much time. And then they got to sit through my kids saying the Manishtana. So one, if my sister, my mother's watching this, of course. (laughs) My sister's going to maybe listen to this. Maybe this is how she finds out. She has to find out by listening to a class on Torah anytime that I've decided that we're having our first Seder for sure, just my family alone in the basement. But that's what we decided, right? Because there's a a mitzvah of telling over the story. And if you're going to be in a situation, that is the mitzvah of the day. That's the biblical commandment. If you're going to be, or, I'll give you another example. Sometimes you go to a Seder, and there's certain members of the family, they don't want to sit through the story. They don't want to spend time with the story. They're just like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's just get to the food part, come on. And, and we all know what that's like. Everyone's got family members who are like that. Do I, I only have two Seders a year. Do I want to spend my Seder with somebody who's going to be pushing me the entire time to move through? And if, Baruch Hashem, we are going to be at a family situation, maybe these are, these are conversations that need to be had ahead of time. We had our family meeting already. We had these conversations earlier. We already had these conversations with our family because we have to figure this stuff out. Another example. Let's say, let's say you have, you're going to be at the Seder. There are people there who are rushing towards food. Can you say, our little... Cohort, our little family will go sit on the couch in the, in, the, in the living room. You guys continue. You guys get to the food. Serve the food. It's okay. We'll have our food a little bit later. We're going to sit on the couch in the living room and talk a little bit amongst the family. These are important things. That's the mitzvah of the day is to tell over the story to your family. That is the mitzvah of the day. The mitzvah of the day is not to hear 17 other cousins or 6 other cousins. And again, if it's a smaller family with three children and each one has one or two children, it's beautiful. Do it together. You know what I'm saying? But I'm saying like, when you have bigger families, these are real questions. Okay, so that's biblical commandment number one, telling over the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Biblical commandment number two, eating the matzah. Now there are multiple, multiple rabbinical commandments that you get to fulfill on that day. Drinking four cups of wine. Eating the marar. Saying the halal. Right? There are more uh, kiddush on, on the umptive night. So there's many other, there are rabbinical commandments, and there are biblical commandments. Now, let's see the biblical commandment. Maimonides, in the laws of Chametz and Matzah, chapter 7, Halacha 1, Maimonides says, Mitzvah say Shel Torah. There's a biblical commandment. L'saper benisim uveniflos. To tell over the miracles and wonders shenasu la'avoseinu b'mitzrayim that happened to our forefathers in Egypt belel chamisha asar benisan on the night of the 15th of Nisan. Shenemar, as it says, zachras hayom hazeh asher yatzasa mi mitzrayim. 
the Torah says, remember the day that you left Egypt. How do you remember it? You remember it by verbalizing it. When do you verbalize it? On the night of Pesach. So that's the commandment. And by the way, one more important point. If you're going to have a Seder, so much of the, the success of your Seder is going to be reliant on your pre-preparation. For example, who's going to read what part? Ideally, you should have different people engaged. I mean, maybe the Seder leader will actually read the Haggadah out loud, but you should have different people who are engaged and in charge of saying different Vartoras, you know, different ideas, different thoughts. And if you have a, you know, a grandchild who's in high school, and you say to them, or a child, and you say, look, I'd like you to say something about halach ma'anya, about this is the bread of affliction. And then say, would you like me to help you prepare it? When you give people a job, people are actually surprisingly pretty amazing about doing it. And they'll step up. Can you imagine the difference between just reading through the Haggadah and reading through the Haggadah and different people in the family have been charged with the task of explaining various different parts of the Haggadah, which makes them feel empowered, engaged. They're not just passive listeners to rambling from other people, but they know they're going to be part of it. They're going to share ideas that they researched ahead of time. That's a very important component. Or just even sitting with the family and discussing how are we going to split up? How are we going to make sure there's equity at our Pesach Seder? What do I mean by that? Often you have one kid who's very loquacious. And that kid will end up commandeering a very high percentage of the conversation. So you want to make sure that we have a, a plan. Everyone's going to get a chance to say over the course of the night, everyone's going to get a chance to say three ideas they like best. Okay, or two, whatever, whatever, whatever the time will permit. But have a plan. Don't go for sure. Look, the seder might be the most out of ordered meal in the entire year, but the amount of order you put in ahead of time, setting the stage for the seder, so to speak, making sure that you know that your family will be situated in a place where they could really, really focus. I, I've, I've had someone tell me. He said, "My best seder was the year seder of 2020." Why? Because in 2020, we were stuck at home. It was during the pandemic. And I just sat around the table with my family, and we all discussed it. And this is a man, he's not, he didn't grow up Orthodox. His family is not Orthodox. They're not, none, no one is. Not the father, not the mother, not the three children. But the three children, they're college age, a little bit older. And, and he said it was, it was amazing. No one was pushing us to make it, to rush it through. We ended up getting into great conversations. We had an amazing Seder. There used to be a song from the Beastie Boys called You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party. You gotta fight for your right to have a proper Seder. And if you think you're just going to come crashing into the Seder and it's all going to work out, it's not. The more you have pre-planned about how your Seder is going to be maximized, how your family members are going to be maximally engaged, the better off you are. So again, the biblical commandment of the Seder is to be telling over the Nisim Viniflaos, the miracles of the Seder. Now we usually think of nature as being order, miracles being extraordinary stuff, right? Not What does extraordinary mean? Not very ordinary. Beyond the ordinary pale. However, the reality is, as the Chedush Arim tells us, as the, 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 uh, the Yitzchak Meir Alter tells us, miracles are actually, if anything, more ordered than nature. In order for these miracles to take place, when you start looking at what is behind the miracle, you realize this miracle was pre-planned generations ahead of time. Yeah, nature is pretty orderly. You plant an apple tree, you generally get an apple tree, not a peach tree, right? There's a certain set amount of order, right? It's usually during the winter that it's cold and during the summer that it's hot, although, you know, with, with the recent changes, shall we say, we're getting cool, warmer winters and who knows what, it gets cold frequently in the middle of the summer, but for the general part, it's, it's pretty ordered your whole life, you remember, right? February is colder than July. That's, a, that's pretty much a very ordered thing. But miracles are just as orderly. And they're actually, they're more, order, they're, they're more order, orderly because they've often been set into place 
way in advance. Let's look at the miracle of getting out of Egypt. The leader who got us out of Egypt was a man named Moses. Moses' mother's name was Yocheved. Where was Yocheved born? Coming in right at the wall, they said. Boom! Yocheved was born as they were entering the walls of Egypt. They had, you know, in those days, they had very thick walls, especially, like, you know, go through Jaffa Gate, right? You go through the walls of older cities that were around for years, they, had, they were very, very thick, 20, you know, 15-foot thick walls or whatever it was. As Jacob and his family is going down to Egypt, Yocheved suddenly goes into labor and gives, sorry, not Yocheved, Levi goes into, yeah, Levi goes into labor, Levi's wife, sorry, Mrs. Levi, (laughs) it wasn't 2023, Mrs. Levi goes into labor and gives birth to a beautiful lady, a little girl named Yocheved. That's as they're going down into the servitude, the roots of the redemption are literally born. Can it be more symbolic than that? You think this miracle is not orderly? This miracle was set up hundreds of years in advance. Moshe didn't take the Jewish people out until he was 80 years old. And Moshe was born to Yocheved, and Yocheved was the one who was born as they're coming down to Egypt. You think these miracles are not set in place? And she was shipped from and she was known as Shifra too, like my daughter's name. There we go. Okay. Now, let me tell you a story about a young man in this community. Avi Pichette. Avi Pichette, the young man who lived right here in Southfield. The story goes back to about 20, 2008, 2009, the previous financial crisis. Now, Avi Pichette uh, went to school for... IT and computer type of related work. And when he went to get a job, he was hiring for a job, and at the firm, he told them ahead of time, he's like, look, I can't work on Shabbos. And they said, okay, whatever, we won't schedule him for Shabbos. But we want you, we're looking for you know, strong people with strong IT skills, we'll hire you in, you don't have to work on Shabbos. Okay, so now he shows up for his first set of trainings. It's a two-day training course. And of course, when is the two-day training course? On Thursday and Friday. And of course, when is that Friday? In the middle of December. <laughs> the smallest Fridays of the year. So he tells the instructor, he says, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to leave at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. And the instructor says, I'm really sorry, but you don't have to leave at 3 o'clock. You have to leave at 5 o'clock. Because I'm the instructor, and you need to hear everything I've got to say. And he says to the instructor, I understand, but I'm really sorry. When I took this job, I agreed you know, with, with the recruiters that I was not going to be working on Shabbos. And, and he's like, Shabbos is tomorrow. He's like, not really. Shabbos is tonight. And the, the instructor says, look, I, I don't care you need to be here until I'm finished this training because this is how you're going to learn what our company's protocols are and I'm not accepting anything less. What's he going to do? So, he goes into class and at 3 o'clock he gets up and he walks out. And the instructor calls after him, don't you walk out on me. But what's he going to do? I'm sorry, he walks out. Now the company couldn't fire him because that would be religious discrimination and they knew they'd be facing a lawsuit. They couldn't fire him, but you know what they could do? You can give him the midnight shift, right? I'm sorry, sir, that's all that was available. The midnight shift is not a good way to live. You've got to be up all through the night. It's mind-numbing work. There's no one there in the office to talk to. It's just a very... It's not a fun, <laughs> it's not a fun shift. And they were punishing him. But what can he do? Now, you could have gotten angry and said, God, I don't understand. I did what you asked of me. I kept the Shabbos. How could it be that I'm being hurt by keeping the Shabbos? It's not my life is not going according to order. A few months later, he's got this coworker named Bruce, who's a, uh, a big black Christian fellow 
who comes over to him and says to him, your God must have been looking out for you. And he says, what are you talking about? He says, the company is downsizing. We're in the middle of the financial crisis. And they literally fired your entire cohort. Every single person that you hired on with has been fired. But since you're on the midnight shift, and that's out of their sight, out of their mind, you still have a job. Again, this is not a crazy miracle. It's not one of the... But guess what? The whole thing was in order for months and months in advance. He's sitting there sweating his way through the, through the midnight shift for months, thinking the world is chaotic. I try to do the right thing, and the world kicks me out and spits me out. But in the end, we see, when you look back, and you say, wow, it really, there, there was an order to this. This is how it was supposed to happen. Nothing is random. Everything is ordered. Everything is part of the Seder. When we call a chaotically ordered meal Seder, which means order, it reminds us that every bit of chaos is part of the grander order of the world. God loves us. God calls us in our redemption from Egypt, Beni Bechori Yisrael, my firstborn son is Israel. God sees us as his firstborn child. God loves us tremendously, and he's constantly looking out for us, and constantly setting us through things, but it's all part of the plan. Your life is not spinning out of control. Your life is spinning exactly in control. You know, they have tops, okay, that have ink on the bottom, so you spin the top, and the, 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 the thing spins. It's got, it makes a beautiful like circular design. You can, you can, can you imagine like, you, if you can visualize what I'm talking about? It's like a dreidel, sort of, but on the bottom is actually ink. And then you spin it, and the whole thing is spinning around and around and around and around and around and around and around, and, around, and, around, and it creates this beautiful pattern, right? Now, when you're the top, your life feels like... <laughs> your life feels so out of control. But... It, it's not just that your life is creating a beautiful pattern. It's that your beautiful pattern was preset for you. Imagine you had a previously, you know, you had a beautiful pattern on a piece of paper, and it's all these swirls, 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 swirls. And then they were to take you and they'd put you down on that paper right at the start, and they would spin you, and you would go through your whole life, and then when you finish, you look back. And there's only one line. It's a little bit darker now because it's been... That's, ex- that's exactly what goes on. Our lives are spinning not out of control, but in control. The disorder is Seder. Miracles are not out of the ordinary. They are the ordinary. They are ordered and set up from ahead of time. The name, the Seder alone, gives us a sense of redemption. There's nothing more chaotic than feeling like I'm alone and there's no one there for no one or nothing there for me. And 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 taking care of me or concerned about me, just knowing no you're you're not alone. You're never alone. God looks at you and sees you as his child and God is there for you and even though your life feels sometimes like it's careening out of control, There's a purpose and a meaning for this. If you want to be free, you have to know that you are in a framework of love. I can't be free to be myself in a situation where I don't feel comfortable. If you see somebody amongst his friends, he feels very comfortable, right? He feels very free and comfortable to speak his mind and to talk and to hang out because he he feels loved and accepted. If you go to a place where you don't know anybody, you, you don't feel very free or very comfortable. You don't know anybody. You're nervous. you got to feel free and comfortable in your world. You're in a safe space. God loves you. God is watching you. God is holding you. God says about you, you're my firstborn child. My eyes are on you all year long. And whatever you're going through, from the pain of, you know, you got a problem with your elbow or your arm to the challenges of 
your life, whether it be economics or family or love or whatever it might be, Hashem is right there with you the whole time. And the more we know that, the more free we feel to walk this world. We're not walking alone. Now, let's go to Kadesh, the first step of the Seder. The first step of the Seder is Kadesh, we say Kiddush, over a cup of wine. Why wine? Wine represents the Neshama. There's a phrase we say, Nichnas Yayin Yatzasod. Put wine in somebody and their secrets, their most innermost essence comes out. Why wine? If you buy grapes, with inflation, I have no idea what the price of grapes is. I mean, I was in the store this morning. They were $4 a pound, but by now it might be four fifty. I'm kidding. <laughs> you buy a, a package of grapes from Costco or Sam's Club, the three-pound cubes. You know what I'm talking about? Delicious grapes. Whatever, eight bucks. Okay, not bad. That's ex- what? It's a lot of grapes. A lot of grapes, three pounds, yeah. Uh, okay, so you, you buy the grapes cost two fifty maybe a pound, whatever it is, two fifty about two sixty six a pound. But here's an amazing thing. You could take that pound, pound and a half of grapes, smash them, mash them, put them in a bottle, put them in a barrel, put them in a bottle. And that same pound of grapes could end up going for sixty dollars, eighty dollars, a hundred dollars. Right? Wine has incredible value once it's gone through its process. How do you get, how do you take good grapes and make great wine? Obviously, it takes an enormous amount of pressure. You're going to be squeezing them. Now, you don't want to squeeze them too much, right? Because then you get the pulp out in there. You want to just squeeze them where the juice comes out. There's special, I actually made wine one time. Of course, it was so horrible that I ended up spilling it out. I was like, I'm not going to be that guy who makes his own wine and, and forces everybody who comes into his house to drink his wine. Like, I know most people's wines are terrible. This is amazing. And then you're like, oh, this is like most people's wine. <laughs> you know. So I made my own wine. It wasn't good. I spilled it out. I spared the whole world from having to drink my wine. But in the process of making wine, you have these special rollers that crush the grapes. But you don't want to smash them too much because then you've got too much pulp in there. Later on, there's a wine press where you're going to put it through and, and get a little bit of moisture out. But you want to crush it, but not crush it too much. And then you've got to let it ferment. It's got to be in the proper environment. You try to have it ferment and it's too hot, it will ruin. Have it ferment and it's too cold, it won't taste like anything. Right? It's got to be in the right temperature. And then you've got to rack it. Racking it is when you have these barrels of wine, but they've got a lot of sediment in it. So what you do is you open up the barrel or the carboy and you spill out or you take out the water using a, uh, you know, like a suction with a, you know, where you put the uh, hose, you put, you create that what? Strainer. Yeah, you like, not a strainer, no, you, where you you, you you siphon, there we go, that's the word. You take, you take a hose and you put it in and you siphon the water, the, sorry, the, the, grape, the, the wine off of the top, because there could be often like this much stuff collected at the bottom, the sediment. And then you got to put it into a new barrel without any sediment, and you got to sit the sediment for a long time. It's a whole process. We have a neshama from God. And that neshama is good, but for it to be great, it's got to go through stuff. It's got to be per- crushed. Not crushed too much, then you'll ruin it. But also not crushed too little. Right? We have a whole generation that's struggling with Entitlement, because the grapes weren't crushed enough. They weren't challenged maybe enough. The blessing of a bruised knee. If a person's... And, and there are so many different kinds of crushing nisyonos. If a person's very poor, it could be crushingly difficult. Because they don't have anything, and they're constantly worried about their next month's, this month's mortgage and, 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 and utility bills and it can make them unfortunately lose focus on, on other things and get totally caught up in, in the financial worries and anxieties and they can make them very stingy 
or it can make them incredibly compassionate because they're being squeezed to the max and they know what it's like. And when they see someone else suffering, they are totally there for them because they know what it's like. On the same token, if you're very rich, it's also not very easy. It's much harder to raise healthy children in a house that has extraordinary wealth. It is very difficult. You can end up being bombarded by people all the time asking you for money and then you just shut it down and you become stingy. You lose your compassion because there's too many people asking you all the time for money and you lose sight of your humanity because you have to say no. People are constantly bombarding you and you, just, you, say, you have to learn to say no and, and when you say no more and more it could, it could have a calcifying effect and you could end up being very stingy or you could have so much wealth and you're so compassionate because you recognize that Hashem gave you so much. There's challenges everywhere you go. And if you don't have the, the challenge of poverty or wealth, you could end up having the challenge of health. All kinds of health com- challenges. Grapes aren't worth much. Wine is worth a whole lot. Grapes go for two fifty a pound. Bottles of wine can go for... And again, depending on how well they make it through this process, they could be, you know... a. a Seven, $8 bottle at Trader Joe's. They could be a $20 bottle. They could be a $60 bottle. They could be a $100 bottle that you put in your cellar for three, four years and it comes out even much better. <coughs> sometimes we choose the challenge and sometimes the challenge chooses us. But either way, like wine, it's when we are put through the pressures that we can end up becoming something that goes in one end worth two fifty dollars a pound comes out the other end worth $90 a bottle. Let me tell you about a, a special, special Yid whose name was Arav Belkovich. Arav, that's the way he sounded like Arav Belkovich. Arav Belkovich was from Eretz Yisrael. Unfortunately, he actually died right in the beginning of COVID. He was here in America and he got COVID and, and he, he, it was right in the early, early days. He passed away. So I'll tell you a little bit about Harav Belkovich. I've got a weird feeling that that's Rav Belkovich sending us a message. Don't talk about me. But if it's not Rav Belkovich, whoever's phone it is can please mute their phone. Okay. Alrighty, so... Harav Belkovich... And please make sure to mute it, yeah. Okay. Rav Belkovich was a successful shoe importer. He lived in Israel... And he did import and export of shoes. One day, he had a shipment that had come into the port at Haifa. So he goes down to the port, and he has to inspect the shipment. He has to stay there for a couple days for customs. So he's not going to walk away with the shipment, but he's got to go in there. He goes in with the customs agent, and he looks it over, and he sees it's exactly what he said. It was in the bill of lading. It was, you know... X amount of you know, boxes of shoes. There's some women's shoes, some children's shoes, some men's shoes, so on and so forth. He's walking back from the port. Sorry, it was in South Tel Aviv. Is there a port in South Tel Aviv? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it was a holding place where the, the customs agents go through the containers that came off the ports in Haifa. Anyway, so he's looking at these new shoes from Spain. He goes, he goes back, he gets back in his car, and he's about to turn his key in the ignition when suddenly... A few hundred yards up ahead on the road, there is a blinding flash. And a few seconds later, the sound waves come, and absolutely a bomb had been detonated down the block. And first he said it, he saw it, and he was like, what is that? And then, and then it hit him. The sound waves come, the shock waves and the sound waves come blasting through. They totally destroyed his windshield. They turned it into thousands of little daggers and somehow he's lifted out of his car and he wakes up on the street and he's got blood coming out of him in many places because the windshield had just shattered and became shrapnel. So he wakes up and he's lying there on the, fe- on the, on the floor and he can see he's, pretty, he's a couple hundred feet away from where the blast went off. But it was, he couldn't hear anything because when a person goes through a, an explosion, they, they get deafened. They, temporarily, the, 
they're, they're, they're not able to hear. He knows he's alive. He starts looking at himself. He sees he's just he's covered in blood. He doesn't know, is it severe? You don't know. Eventually, rescue teams start flooding the area, and they, they branch out. They start off the epicenter of the blast. They start, and they get to him, and they start, uh, he had, Baruch Hashem, it was mostly shrapnel wounds, and it was very painful, but it was just stuff that could be sewn up. So they rush him off to Ichilov Hospital, along with all the other wounded from that uh, accident for triage care. A few hours later, you know, because in Eretz Yisrael, unfortunately, we have experience with this kind of thing, so we know how to handle it. And doctors start flooding into the area from other hospitals, and the triage is very, very quick and efficient and incredible. So a few hours later, he finds himself in the ward, and he's pretty much he's stitched up a bunch, but he's stuck in this ward with many other survivors in various states of health and consciousness. Unfortunately, there are people whose loved ones are hanging on by a thread. There are people whose loved ones are in critical condition. I mean, he was, he was considerably one of the best. But he's looking around, and he sees there are so many family members who have been there for hours already. Hours. And when someone hears that, God forbid, a member of their family has been in, a, in, a, in an accident, in a, in a terrorist attack, you don't, you don't go and grab a sandwich and then make your way to the hospital. You run to the hospital as fast as you can. And he sees all these family members... And they're, they're starving, they're famished, they've been here for six hours, they're filled with worry and concern. And just physically, it's not easy when you're in there. So Harav Belkovich makes a few phone calls. And 45 minutes later, a truck pulls up to the hospital, and Hasidish Bakram come off the truck and start handing out soda and water and sandwiches and snacks to the family members. Right? The people who are, were in the attack, they're patients. The, the hospital will feed them. But the family members have no one taking care of them. And just, like, and just to see a friendly, warm face when you're scared and you're by yourself and you're waiting, you're with other family members, but you're in that holding pattern. You don't know where, what's going to happen. A friendly, smiling face reaching out and saying, here, can I give you please a water? Would you like a soda? Let me get you a sandwich. What kind of snacks would you like? It just it makes a huge difference. Now, Harav Belkovich got out of this thing, thankfully, just lacerations. And he decided that as a way of showing appreciation to God for getting him out of this terrorist attack alive, he was going to go visit the family of every other person in that terrorist attack and find out what they need, and whatever they need, he would take care of. So he gets a list of all the people that were in the attack and he starts going house to house. Now at some houses he was fortunate to meet a fellow survivor. What can I get for you? What can I do for you? Some houses he's meeting with a widow and orphan children. But at every house he said, whatever is needed, I'm gonna get, I'll take care of it. And he really did. Now, unfortunately, this was in the middle of one of the intifadas, so he realized, like, wow, that just made such a big difference. So he said, you know what, the next terror attack, I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll go to every surviving family. And then another. And then another. And then he started an organization to be there for families of people whose lives have been shattered by violence and terrorism. And the name of that organization is called Or Simcha. From La Yehudim, Haisa Or Simcha. For the Jews, there was light and joy. And his goal was to return light to and joy to families that were wrenched away from it. In 2006, when the Lebanon War broke out, he sent trucks, because if you remember in 2006, there was Israelis huddled in their shelters all over northern Israel. And he sent out trucks, because these people were stuck in bomb shelters, they, were, they couldn't go out to stores. The stores were closed. How are they going to get food? How are they going to get drink? He sent out trucks filled with food and drink. And they're distributing food to families all across northern Israel who are stuck in bomb shelters. Young men risking their lives. And while they're out there, they find out that, lo and behold, the Israeli army was not properly equipped. The 2006 Lebanon war was an absolute disaster. Their supply lines were not properly 
you know, readied. They weren't ready for war. And there were Israeli soldiers in Lebanon who were also, they didn't have any nutrition. The army, there was, the army had set up with a caterer. The caterer had left the food at the, at the border. They said, I'm not going in there. It's too dangerous. But the, the army didn't have anything to transport there. So our Simcha with Harav Belkovich, they send trucks into Lebanon. The CNN reporter is in Lebanon talking to Israeli soldiers when suddenly a truck pulls up and Hasidic boys with side locks and payas get out and start handing out food. They couldn't believe it. So the CNN reporter says, I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll interview the IDF later. They gave them a full interview. The whole world was able to see these Hasidic Jews in the middle of Lebanon distributing food to the hungry soldiers. When things got crazy in Stay Road, he sent down trucks to Stay Road. He himself would go down all the time. He says, you don't understand. He told me, he believes that shluche mitzvah enam nizoke, and people who are, are sent to do a mitzvah, they're not going to get hurt. That's how he feels safe going into scary places like Lebanon or to Stay Road. And he said many times, he's been not far away from a, a missile, you know, a rocket attack in Stay Road. It happens all the time. He said there was one time his truck was there fully loaded with things for the people who needed it, and a rocket came down within 25 meters of it. Every car or truck in the area was damaged. His truck was untouched. So this is what his life became, a life of giving, a life of doing. He was still a shoe salesman. He still imported shoes. As a matter of fact, he himself, before Yumtiv, he would donate you know, 1,200 pairs of shoes or whatever it is. This is a man who got squeezed. This is a man, this is a grape that got squeezed and got roughed up and had some juice drain out of him literally and yet look what incredible good came out of there. Look what kind of, what a fine vintage that creates. We start off our Seder by making Kiddush over wine. Recognizing and being cognizant of the fact that in our life, our challenges are also part of our redemption. The squeeze, the tug and the pull that we've gone through, the challenges we've seen are part of the challenge too. I'm sorry, are part of what makes us into the vintages that we're supposed to be. The incredible, delicious, fine wines. You've got to go through some difficulties. But you, it can take you from being a $2.50 pound of grapes to being an incredible bottle. A Shiloh mosaic, perhaps. Or some other good Israeli wine. By the way, I, I love Pesach. I love, I love all the holidays, but I love Pesach. And even though today we, Baruch Hashem, in the firm world today, there's a lot of different... You can get kosher Pesach tequila, and kosher Pesach rum, and kosher Pesach vodka, and kosher Pesach gin. On Pesach, I like to drink almost exclusively wine. I mean, also water and soda, but I'm saying... <laughs> Almost exclusively wine. You're like, Rabbi, that could be pretty dangerous. But um, no, it's, it's this man of cherus. It's this man of kingship. We're supposed to feel like royalty. Hashem gave us a royal, royal redemption. And, and wine is the drink of royalty. Next, in the Seder, we wash our hands, which is the second step, which is orchats. And then we, we're watching it for eating the karpas. What is the karpas supposed to remind us of? So, of course, the classic answer is, as Flo is saying right over here, it's the tears that the Jewish people cried when they were doing the hard work in Egypt. However, Rabbeinu Manoach, a 13th and 14th century commentator in France, says that it's supposed to remind us of Mechiras Yosef, the selling of Joseph. Right? Where they took Joseph and they sold him and they took his coat and dipped it in the blood of the goat and brought it to their father and said, here, look, dad. No hands. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> look. <laughs> they said, look, dad, no Joseph. Right? They said, there's, there's, there's no one here. You know, what happened to him? Now the word karpas supposed to remind us of the kisones pasim. Karpas. Kisones pasim. The the multicolored coat was called the Kisonas Pasim. Why are we reminding ourselves of the sale of Joseph? Well, 
How did we end up going down to Egypt? It all started with the brothers' hatred of Joseph, which led to them selling him to Egypt, which led to him interpreting the dreams, becoming the viceroy, and all the brothers coming down, and eventually the whole family coming down. We're at the beginning of the Pesach Seder. There's still a good four hours ahead of this meal. Five hours. You've got a lot of family members there. It is easy to get irritated and annoyed at family members. How many people do you know who are the nicest people to everybody in the world, but with their family, they just have a very short fuse? And that's, by the way, that's normal. It is much easier to be nice to people out there because you have no history with them. You have no trauma with them. You have no pain with them. You have no emotional suffering with them. It's easy to be nice to everybody out there in the street. But when you're dealing with your own family, that's where all the garbage gets dredged up. <laughs> and in some families, I mean, there's enough sediment in the bottom of that, or, the, the, you know, in the bottom of the pot, you could stick a fork in and it will stand straight up. You know, there's a lot of stuff that, and you start mix, mixing that stuff, there's all kinds of acidic stuff popping and flowing. I mean, it, it could be a difficult time. As much as we love getting together with, with family, Getting together with family can be a challenging thing. At the beginning of the Seder, we say, remember how we got into this whole trouble? Remember how the whole Egypt slavery thing started? Sibling rivalry, problems with family, dipping of the Ksonas possum, the Karpas, into the blood. We're going to have a four-hour Seder. Let's make sure we keep our cools. We keep friendly. We keep our cools. That's right. Now it's a new word. We keep, our, we keep our cool, we stay calm and collected. By the way, one of my pet peeves is people say, you got to stay calm and collective. It's not collective, my friends, it's collected. Cool, calm, cool and collected. Anyway, but okay, that's totally irrelevant. It's like also people who say especially. There's nothing special about saying especially. It's the wrong word. There is no word especially. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? Are you guys with me? It's, it's a totally side factor. But, ladies and gentlemen, the car bus is supposed to remind us Keep it cool. Family sibling rivalry is what brought us into Egypt and many decades of bitter slavery. Let's do our best to make sure this, this Seder ends up on a high note. And again, that's going to also, maybe that's another reason why we're going to have it in the basement this year for me, me and my family. No, I'm kidding. We get along well. Baruch Hashem. So that is uh, our messages for today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being awesome. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.